Thank you for joining us for Inland Sessions, the podcast. Today we take a visit to speak with William Berry, the music director and resident composer for the Clarion Brass Choir, alongside this year's Clarion Christmas concert conductor, Andrea Olson, both currently living in Spokane, Washington. I am William Berry. I'm the founder and artistic director of Clarion Brass. We started in 1992. I had done a bunch of brass quintet stuff in Seattle and five in a quintet and really enjoyed that. But um, then we'd get to the full symphonic brass section and the potential with that. And so I just decided I wanted to do a big brass choir. So that's what Clarion is. It's basically the brass section from a symphony orchestra. Four trumpets, four horns, three trombones, tuba, and percussion, which is the ensemble you would need to play Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for a Common Man. And there are a few things written for that ensemble, but not a whole lot. But the potential is just huge, and so that's what I wanted to put together. And then as the years have gone by, I've written just about everything the group has played, so exploring the possibilities for the ensemble sound-wise and so within that group you've got like a horn quartet or you can do the trumpets or you can have that brass quintet or you can do a Dixieland band it's the same instrumentation or something close to like a big band swing band sound so there's a lot of potential for that so over the years I've been writing for that I also write for other groups full orchestra and chorus and chamber groups and things like that but this is kind of my main thing is is doing brass and Christmas and brass go together really well so the concerts have come together over 30 years and Andrea is our conductor for this year. Mm-hmm. Very excited to do that this year and honored. I'm Dr. Andrea Olson and uh, I am conducting the Clarion Brass Concert this year. This is what Christmas sounds like. Well I will jump in and say um, KSPS is offered to film this uh, concert and it's been a few years off for the pandemic so it's um, really exciting to come back and and do it but for a filming which is going to be around for a while kind of my thought is if this is a really nice filming and it's going to be that 10 years from now 20 years from now this is what's going to be 
in people's computers on their shelves or whatever. And so I wanted to just pick kind of the best of legacy stuff that Clarion had. So over the years, we've done backing up vocalists. We've featured people from within the group, a horn solo or a trombone solo or something. But this concert is just all Clarion as the full ensemble. So that's one of the criteria I did. And then, you know, some of the favorite things from the early years, middle years, and of course the stylistic things from very serious and somber up to swing tunes and rocking tunes and everything else. And of course, one of the traditions, I, I write something new every year. So this year, the new thing is the Huron Carol, which is the oldest um, Christmas song written on this continent, 1642 in near Lake Huron in the language of the natives of that area. So that's kind of what we're doing this year. Tell me about your perception of this stepping in as conductor, Andrea. Sure. Um, You know, it's a lot of music to kind of step into and not have uh, had uh, time with over the years. Uh, Many of the clarion brass uh, players have been uh, part of that group for since the, its, its inception, some of them. Uh, so they've lived with some of this music for a long time. Um, what was really exciting about uh, William asking me to do this was the fact that it was uh, mostly Christmas carols or Christmas music, and there's usually text to these. Uh, even if we're not having text with it, um, there is a, a story behind each of these carols, and within each of these pieces, there's uh, multiple uh, uh, quotes of, of Christmas songs and Christmas carols and hymns that date back uh, centuries. And so uh, the fun part of this is uh, bringing that aspect to it, bringing the storytelling aspect to life uh, for for the musicians, for the instrumentalists, but also uh, for those that are going to be uh, listening to it and hearing it. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, there's something, a little something for everybody. There's, uh, I, during our rehearsals day, we talked about the little nuggets of um, uh, quotes from well-known Christmas carols uh, and really bringing those out and highlighting those out so that people can uh, sort of tune into those. So William has wrapped all of these nuggets of of melody, known melodies, um, with amazing orchestrating of these brass instruments around it. Um, But it's been fun to sort of dig in and do a little bit of interpretation and shaping. If we had words, how would we sing this? How would we say these words? And what is the important um, phrase that maybe we need to highlight here? So it's been fun digging into it from that aspect. Uh, And I think that... uh, has given some of the players, you know, a little bit of a different perspective as well, um, as far as uh, how they're playing it or how they're phrasing it. Uh, that 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 added element of interpretation that is uh, the 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 words uh, to these well-known tunes. 
you know, all of these songs are songs that I have at some point sung uh, or conducted. Uh, so, and and Christmas music to me is is very special already. Uh, I have been singing Christmas music and singing Christmas music for people in a concert setting, um, you know, since I was we. I mean, that I went to uh, retirement centers and we would present Christmas carols. And, and, and I've been in children's choirs. You know, that was my earliest singing uh, uh, was these Christmas carols. So I'm, I have a history with the carols themselves. Uh, but uh, William's arrangements of them and, and how he's brought them to life through the brass uh, instruments, uh, those are all those settings are new. So the challenge is um, seeing these, uh, uh, you know, for not very not a long time before before we have to perform them, uh, and making sure that I'm honoring what he uh, what his vision, William's vision for these for for the music, um, while also sort of um, breathing life into uh, the the story behind it. And so for me, I I really believe that every Every time you sing something, every time you play something, every time you perform something, you can do it better than the last time you did it. Uh, and so I don't ever get bored of Christmas music. Uh, every year um, there's a phrase or a line or a text uh, idea that hits differently. Uh, and you know, as you as, you know, as you get older, you know, the, the wisdom uh, of years and and um, uh, uh, experience, you know, things hit differently, you know, uh, being a mom, having a family, different carols hit differently. Uh, and so then remembering those feelings and, and making sure that the, the they sing through the instruments um, and, and weaving that and layering that in there. So the challenge really not so much as, um, you know, oh my gosh, it's hard music, although uh, it is. Uh, it's challenging music, uh, as William has said it, which is challenging in a good way, though. Uh, I, I need to make sure that I add that because it's brilliantly set. Um, but challenging to make sure that I honor what he wants as a composer and his vision for the piece, while at the same time, you know, um, making it uh, different than any time they've played it, that any time Clarion has played this before. Um, I'm going to jump in and just yeah, say absolutely. Uh, on what you have the, with the words and the familiarity, um, there are a few carols on this that are lesser known or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not um, – as familiar as others, but there are a lot of them. Joy to the World is on the concert that everybody has sung that, everybody knows it, Mm -hmm. but so that's both a challenge in writing, how do you make it different, but the fact that everybody is going to recognize the tune and the song and so that you have latitude to do something unique with it. And so in the case of brass and Joy to the World, how joyful can you make it sound with the brass at hand, which is a huge amount of brass that you can you can, okay, what's the most joy you can put into this? Mm-hmm. And people already know the song, so you can kind of mess with it, and it doesn't leave anybody behind. It's not like, oh, well, it would be different with strings or something, but just taking the brass and say, joy, what do we do with mm-hmm. joy? So that's that's kind of my process in a very simple, you know, how can you make it the most of what it is or find some aspect or some word in the song and, and really, you know, develop it for the group that we've got. Mm-hmm. The caliber is so high that... Oh, let's write really impossible rhythms, and oh, we got that in five minutes. No problem. Mm-hmm. Next, right. yeah. are there any of the musicians who are going to be who are playing this year who have been with you since 1993? 
Yes. This I, is the 30th I've, year anniversary, I've, yes, Clarion? I've, I've been been here since the beginning. Um, Larry Jess mm-hmm. played the first, I think he's missed one over the years. We were just talking about this. Paul Raymond's been there. The percussionist has been there since the beginning. Chuck Karshney, the horn player, has been there since the beginning. A lot of people have been there, you know, 10 or 20 years, and some people on and off. Um, and, of course, um, there's been some evolution and people get older and and cycle through so we've got a lot of amazing young players mm-hmm. coming into uh, John Church on first trombone boy that that just he just sounds so wonderful you know oh I could listen to him all day mm-hmm. I get to sit next to him it's like wow yeah. so lovely yeah. what do you look for most when seeking to fill those empty seats every year in Clarion like those those few people who don't come back or who aren't able to just do the scheduling it's really tough. I um, I travel some, and so I meet people from other places who play really well, and the, the replacing people. We have to bring in some people from out of town to, to do it, but it's it's really tough. For this concert, um, since it's a, a legacy show and we're doing a lot of things from the past that I started, I mean, obviously I get the same people who are familiar with the group and have played in it, but the people who have played these things the most um, over the years so that it's... Um, They've at least seen half the the music There's or something. There's a familiarity. That's yeah, and, and then that's <laughs> throwing Andrea. She has to learn all of it. All of it. <laughs> yes, that was the big challenge. Was just that you know huge amount to learn in you know a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a few new players that have not uh, played. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nicholas Slaggards, um, mm-hmm. trumpet player. He's a new trumpet player with the symphony, and he's really good. The the guy who was. Um, playing before is out of the country with mm-hmm. his wife. Um, that uh, so he's kind of not available yep. and you know, <laughs> stuff. And tuba player is a, a new new player. Zan um, he um, is getting his doctorate at WSU, and he's also um, just released a recording with a, a honking street band in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. He's got a group that he runs out there so he's obviously I mean he was one of the choices of he can play classical and he can do some some honking on the tuba so it's like he's versatile enough to play the styles I mean it seems legitimate to point out um, how difficult it is to bring a large professional group together who want to play for you every year Mm -hmm. when when I first uh, met William I was singing for a recording of one of his uh, cantatas Angels and uh, I had not known his work before this was 20 years ago now so um, I love I just thought what he did and what he did ask with for the voices to do and all of the layering was brilliant and so I was like okay you know what else what else can I hear by by William and so I became a clarion fan and and uh, attended concerts and Christmas and and brass as he said it just goes together it makes sense um, and so it was so uh, what I love about Williams music is again those that layering and, and he takes it where you don't you can't even imagine that it would go there and yet there it is we we went there and and it's done brilliantly and it doesn't sound odd or weird it it, it is like ah this makes I love this I love the the, the creativity and the pushing of the envelope um, uh, so that but that's been you know the the challenge uh, uh, you know for the newer folks um, to the music is is learning it all uh, and and but yet I think everybody uh, has risen to the occasion 
what is your interpretation of why Christmas music is so perennially popular and interesting? Mm-hmm. And we're talking the last 600 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> the, the, well, Christmas was a big deal in my household, but it's in a secular way. And I, it's not for me to tell anybody how to celebrate Christmas or, you know, Hanukkah. I grew up on the East Coast, and there was a huge mix of of cultures and everything already so I you know that but you know that's anybody can show up and get whatever they want out of the concert you know whether it's truly religious or Christmas trees and Santa Claus Mm -hmm. and stuff and it's all good but I think it's um, aside from specifics of any particular culture I I think there's a, a winterness where people come together and they they feast and they gather and they you know there's something and there's just a whole bunch of things from Santa Claus is coming to town to the most reverential Christian hymns mm-hmm. that just come back every year so it's a part of our collective tradition you know at least you know in America but across the world that there are a lot of things that are just so familiar because they come back for a few weeks out of the year every single year so it's just so known and you know the joy to the world that I mentioned is this you know, okay, you don't hear that a whole lot in July, but you hear it every single year. And so every year it comes back and, oh, yeah, this is the, the world's all right. Can I start with you, Andrea? Uh, can I ask you about the personal story when you decided to pursue music professionally and dedicate your life to that lifestyle? Uh, I always uh, was singing. Uh, I did dance. I always was doing some performing, as I said earlier. Uh, You know, I was singing Christmas carols. I think I was nine years old. And we just, you know, we, you know, sang Christmas carols. And, you know, I was cute and sang pretty darn well. Um, When I was in kindergarten, (laughs) my choir teacher, uh, my music teacher, uh, it wasn't a choir, it was music uh, time, uh, said, uh, you know, you, you have, to my parents, you have, uh, there's something there. And uh, so every time uh, we had math class, my kindergarten teacher would take me and uh, would work with me, would sing with me. And um, so it sort of was always there. Uh, and it, I did, like I said, children's choir. Uh, I went to school. Um, you know, to for music for vocal performance, um, and I remember so being in college. I remember the moment I realized, because I it always came easy. So there was definitely you know uh, some natural uh, ability. So I sort of you know skated through. Uh, I didn't have to work very hard because it came it came it came easy. Um, and then uh, I remember the moment that I botched a performance. And it was, I, I mean, I was in tears. I couldn't believe, you know, how, how could I mess that up? And it was this aha moment of, oh, I need to work. Like, I don't ever want that to happen again. I don't ever want to show up and feel how I felt. And it was embarrassing. And I, I remember that, and I mean, I'm even sort of getting a pit in my stomach now um, because it was so disturbing to me that I would show up and and so every time I'm like oh I you know like what should I be doing what else can I do how else can I prepare for this so that I make sure that I am covered Uh, so it was never really a question whether I would be doing music Um, it's just been 
I, I live my life always 110%. And every, everything I do, I think, what else can I be doing? How else can I improve my performance and, and directing and any, you know, anything I do is always, um, what can I do better the next time? You know, I never have stopped trying to improve, not to, you know, take Lowe's quote, but never stop improving. And that's what I do. And now that's, you know, 25 years since that little uh, turning point in college. William, you said you started as a professional musician at 17. Yes. Um, I grew up, my mother was a piano teacher. And so I'm a native speaker. I kind of think of that, that I don't remember learning to read music. I just always did. And I was in, you know, the household and the my whole my mother's side of the family is very musical. My father's wasn't, um, but he had a very good ear. He could tell. Uh, he listened to opera and could tell which singer it was by the sound. Mm. But anyway, untrained. <clears throat> and I was in band. I started in third grade, and I always my resume. My fifth grade teacher told me I had a good ear, and I asked which one she meant. And I've been trying to figure that out ever since. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of true that you know I was the first chair trumpet in the mm-hmm. high school band and stuff. And then when, it, when I graduated from high school, um, I needed a, a job or some way to pay for school because my younger brother needed to go to school and we didn't have enough money for it. It was a, whatever. But I went into an army band um, at 17 and spent three years there and got the GI Bill. And I was just doing it because I could. That's how I would get money and then go off and I was going to study computers or you know something else. And by the time I was done with the three years in the army, I decided, you know, I, I want to try going to music school. So I, you know, I'd already done it. So I went to, on the GI Bill, I went to Indiana University after being in the army band for a while. And so that's, that was kind of the deci- decision moment after I'd been a professional. I remember driving in the car with my dad, who was a career military officer. And I said, well, I'm thinking of going into music and you know, he was kind of expecting it to be a little bit of a, you know, get your act together. You know, don't do that. That's a stupid thing. And he said, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, be the best, you know. And so that's that was kind of the deciding moment. Although, you know, like I say, it, it, it was always, it's in my DNA or mm-hmm. whatever. That, um, Can I ask each of you, um, do you have a favorite piece that is going to be performed? Make me choose among my children. Oh my goodness! Yes, it's tricky. Um, <laughs> there, there are some I'm I'm very happy with for technical reasons and mm-hmm. what I did. You know, remember the writing of it. That, you know, the I th- the parting glass we wish you is a, a really good piece of writing. I don't think we've nailed it yet in performance. We've performed it a couple of times, but this is going to be the best one ever. But I had to put it on the concert because it's just. Um, you know, I just want to do it. And Joy to the World is another newish one. But the old school, the, the Corde Natus is one that I did a long time ago. It was um, on our first CD and stuff. And I've, I'm known for my jokes and, you know, a lot of complex stuff. I tend to add, I kind of think of it as adding boards to the treehouse until it falls down. Um, but Corde Natus was a challenge to myself to just write something simple and beautiful and direct and no jokes, no secret hidden quotes of New York, New York or anything. Um, it's just uh, 
chant from the 13th century and what can you do with brass and um, that's how we open the concert it's not you know we got all this brass we're not opening with a fanfare we open with one note which I actually play I'm just that's how it happens but one note that just grows from there so I I'd have to say if there's one thing that I that was a breaking point for me decades ago but that's lasted it's you know every time I hear it it's um, that that's a good one so What about for, you, for me, it's um, in the bleak midwinter. Uh, it just speaks so much, and uh, you know we're familiar with this m melodic line, and we're familiar with the text. Um, and then there's this moment uh, that William has has created in there that is this scene of hope, and it's and it's sweeping and and symphonic, and you can feel the sun rising or whatever your sort of joyful moment for you is you, it it sort of comes out of the music and 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 almost when you least expect it uh almost in the 11th hour you know things are almost done and then all of a sudden here's this here's hope out of this bleakness uh and and uh, th that's my favorite moment um uh, of of the song as well, but but uh, how he's made that happen. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say we need a little Christmas because 
I mean... 54 songs in three minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. And you kind of get everything, you know, but the kitchen sink. So you kind of cover everything in The ultimate medley. I would say so. I would say ultimate, like with a capital U. to really mix um, a performance with a venue that speaks to your performance. Could you tell us about that since we're performing at St. Aloysius Cathedral? We've evolved to, oh, okay, I can sit at home and watch the Berlin Philharmonic on the internet, mm-hmm. and it's a perfect performance. And you, they've got, you know, bazillion-dollar camera work because it's a state-owned operation, and they've got unlimited budgets, and they can rehearse, you know, 20 hours a day with... Well, whatever, but um, it's also on your one-inch laptop speakers, and or even if you've got a great sound system, maybe got you know maybe eight-inch speakers or something like that. If you go to St. Al's and hear twelve brass and percussion, um, in you know bouncing off the marble and the wood and the stained glass and everything, it just surrounds you with sound. It's it's not there's no sound system at home that does that for you, and so. I mean, acoustically, if you close your eyes, you will be surrounded by sound. If you open your eyes, there's St. Owl's, which has kind of some nice stuff to look at, too. So, you know, you can, your mind can be in a different space than, you know, at home and then, oh, the the toaster goes off or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So. There's laundry to do. There's laundry, <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, being at St. Owl's um, speaks to, again, sort of the historical uh, aspect as well um, as we look at uh, uh, at least the sacred uh, carols or hymns um, but you know live performance gives you something that you cannot recreate it doesn't matter what amazing tricks you can do um, and 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 I respect those tricks and you know that's that's a talent in and of itself mixing things and and you know uh, spatial audio and surround sound and bouncing back and forth the, you know there's there's tech there's there's technical prowess that that has to happen there but you know every performance a live performance um, is is not going to be the same every night um, because again you've got People, you've got live people doing this. It's it's not this perfected recording where they you know have fixed every note to be perfection. Be together. Be you know focused towards this one goal, which is creating you know breathing life, creating this beautiful um, performance of of Williams' arrangements. And the sound, as 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 uh, William said, in in that tr- you are, it, it, it's like being wrapped in a hug uh, of this music um, that will bounce around. And yeah, there it's the beauty in and of itself. But but again, I think that ties into sort of where we can look back and see what is the history of all of this 
uh, uh, the, the stories that we're telling and the and the and the text and and even melodies that we are um, uh, uh, utilizing. We won't hear the text, but we're playing and and and, and hearing those melodies. Um. I was going to look I, – I wanted to ask before we close up kind of one question focusing on the meaningfulness or the importance of professional opportunities for professional musicians mm-hmm. to do their ultimate best. Oh, that's um, tough. I'm very happy to have this professional group, and it costs a lot of money to pay people. Um, it's the pay economic – worth. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. It's uh, – the economics, and I've lived my life with this, and so it kind of starts to sound negative or something, but it's very much if you were a plumber um, who did something else, you know, eight hours a day and stuff, and then did plumbing in the evening or something like that, would you want that guy who kind of has dinked around with it come to do redo your bathroom or something? That There are a lot of people, and I talked about adult amateur students. There are people who love music, you know, doctors and lawyers and stuff, this camp I teach at that are tend to be you know, retired people or empty nesters, um, very smart people who have spent their lives or played through college and then quit and then came back or in the community band, and very smart, very, you know, potentially talented people but have not spent their lives doing it. And the difference between somebody who's pretty good and somebody who's done nothing else and mm-hmm. has had the freedom to do nothing else, you know, that it's their their job, their gig, they've, you know, spent their whole lives doing it, playing with, you know, in my case, everything from Dixieland bands to orchestras and, you know, backing up shows and rock groups and, you know, a variety. I tend to be more classical than anything else, but this this is what I do. And um, you can get to 80, 85% pretty easily as a part-timer, but to have people like the clarion musicians or, you know, professional symphonies or something where you really want somebody to do just you know, be really, really at the top of their game. Yeah, I was in the Super Bowl, but my real day gig is at the drugstore, you know, that I I play football on, you know, Saturdays. It's like, no, you're not going to be on that team. And that's that's the difference is, is if you're going to do it for fun and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, sure, you know, get a have a quilting group on Wednesday night and then your Dixieland ensemble on Thursday night and it's a good life. But if you were going to pay money to go hear people, you want them to be you know, be able to take you to a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Spokane is, um, it, it has always been a, a kind of a gem and a hidden gem, I think, um, for folks that, you know, don't want to have the stress of, you know, let's say a New York or, uh, you know, uh, uh, L- L.A. life, um, but still want to play at a top caliber and um, you know the the longer that we make music with people, we we find those people that are of that caliber. That if they, if situation was different, or if they wanted to, they could go someplace else and uh, ma- and make it and be successful in that. But um, providing those opportunities for people to uh, perform whatever their talent is, you know, instrumental, vocal, choral. Um, is I think is is important, 
and it's a choice that they make. You know, you've got people that are in the symphony. You know, Larry Jess is a great example. Uh, Paul Raymond is another great example that have been there for years and years and years. People that have been in Clarion, you know, since its inception. Why, why would they stay? Why? Because Spokane offers, I think, a little bit of you know the best of both worlds. You can have some have a land, have a semblance, you know, have a family, have uh, have that life and still make music and still make music at a top-notch level um, and and be successful at it. Uh, but these are people, again, that have spent their entire lives to be at that. And, and there's a reason that they still are in those positions. You know, they keep... They keep uh, at that level, and they every time they play some 110 percent, you know. And and that's why you keep seeing them. You know, oh, I saw that person on the stage, or I saw that person in the news, or, you know, you turn on, you know, you see, oh, so and so is in the newspaper again. There's a reason for that, and but but they've put in the work to to be there. But I think they also make a choice to not go someplace else, even if they could. Uh, because Spokane offers, you know. Yeah, when you can and, and you And, and you if have you can. To. Would you tell us where we can find out more about Clarion performances in the future or how to purchase music? Oh, we could do that. Um, I have a website, figurotunes.com is the website. And uh, for this concert, it's figurotunes.com slash Clarion. Um, I'm writing for the Spokane, Spokane Valley Summer Theater is doing the big band Christmas coming mm-hmm. up. I've done a couple of charts for that. And groups in Seattle. This stuff has been played by the New York Philharmonic and Seattle Symphony and Los Angeles Phil and Dallas Brass, uh, Dallas Symphony um, uh, that has, Ryan Anthony was one of the members of the Canadian Brass when I wrote for them and he went down to Dallas and um, he unfortunately died of cancer but they did an album that included a bunch of this Christmas stuff for their brass section and so I I have the music for sale all over the the world. it's, it's kind of a, a niche thing, but uh, symphony sections tend to do Christmas concerts with brass, mm-hmm. leave the strings at home. and <laughs> But that's what it is as a symphony section. So there's that, and then I've done, you know, woodwind things and whatever. So um, that's all on the website. People can call me up and pay me lots and lots and lots of money to, to write original music for them, too. So, But if you're in Spokane, you can hear it first because yeah. he always premieres it here before it gets to be you know, yeah. anywhere else, which is cool. Could you both introduce yourselves one sure. last time? Sure. I'm William Berry. I'm the artistic director for Clarion Brass, and I write everything they do, and that's why I'm here. I'm Andrea Olson, and I am the conductor uh, for this concert of Clarion. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. The end. You have been listening to a KSPS production recorded in Spokane, Washington. For more information about Inland Sessions, to watch back episodes, or if you'd like to learn how your support of KSPS, PBS, and public television turns into more great programming that explores local arts and culture while promoting civic health and lifelong learning, please visit ksps.org. Thank you.